0: Now one, two, three, four. 3,
1: Steve Gorman, thank you so much for uh, joining me today to talk. Yeah, no
0: worries, man. Happy to do it.
1: So, I have to be honest, I've been a fan of the Crows since 90. I just mm-hmm. moved from New Orleans to Atlanta, and it was my first year in high school. I was in 10th grade, and I went and saw you guys at Center Stage Theater with a band called Rockin' Bones. I don't know if you remember that.
0: Oh, yeah. No, they were friends of ours from back in the day, and... um yeah, I remember that was like in the fall of ninety. Um, we were probably out with Hart at the time, or or so. It was like a day off on a tour. We were either out with Hart or Robert Plant when that gig happened. I think, if memory yeah. serves. Yeah,
1: I know I saw you guys with Hart at Lakewood, mm-hmm. um, and I don't. It remember. was around that
0: same time. I don't think yeah. it was much earlier than that, but it could, I don't know. But I, I do remember playing center stage with Rock and Bones for sure.
1: That was one of the moments that I was like sixteen. And at that mm-hmm. time, you know, as, as a music lover and as a musician, I feel like that's when you're starting to kind of get your bearings a little bit and mm-hmm. kind of actually kind of look for music that's a little more substantial as opposed yeah. to. Now, I mean, I was totally into glam and hard rock and metal, which I still enjoy, you know, but sure, the Crows were a special band and the, the Crows kind of became a gateway band in a sense for me, because mm-hmm. that was what opened the doors for me to go listen to a lot of classic music. Yeah. Um, Was that something that you were prepared to be a part of at the time? Or did you even know it was going to happen?
0: Oh, no. I mean, that's not that's not we didn't think about things in those terms at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, people would say, oh, initially we were playing already by that time. We would do, you know, um, covers by some more obscure artists. You know, people were saying things like, oh, I never listened to Grant Parsons until I heard you guys do one of his songs or. You know, uh even playing big star before we would come out on stage, you know, people say, What's that band? You know, but that's any band does that. You get out and you start to put your taste across, and curious fans will ask you what those things are. In terms of being like an actual link to a pre a prior generation of music, though, mm-hmm. if you're thinking about that kind of stuff when you're twenty four, you're you're missing the whole point. You know what <laughs> I mean? That's <laughs> Cause that's not our job. It's the listener's right. job to take that and run with it. Like you did, you know, our job was to be present and be looking forward. Now, you know, it's important to look back. If you don't know where you're coming from, then you don't know where you can go as they say. Right. But, but, uh, to answer your question shortly, no, I mean, that's, that's just, there, there's so many things that happen around the band and to a band and for a band that you can't plan or predict, you know, mm-hmm. in both good and bad ways. And that's certainly one of those things.
1: I think as musicians in general, especially in our younger, you know, you know, formidable years or whatever, like we're not even thinking about things like impact or whatever. We're Mm kind of like, oh, man, I just get to play music. This is cool. Whoever likes it, fuck, let them in.
0: I mean, I can tell you that gig you referenced. I mean, I remember it. um, Rock and Bones, they were uh friends of ours like friendly rival band in town you know Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) but i mean we were going to play center stage you know our record had come out and it was doing well and we got the headline and we knew it was going to sell out And we asked them to open for us too i mean like we friendly rivals but ultimately friendly and it's like oh let's get rock and bones to play this show with us and so that was our way of you know yeah guys this will be cool and but what i remember as far as impact goes was, you know, we had been on the road for a few months by that point. Like we had gotten, we were a touring band. Um, the last time we had seen Rock and Bones, we were just a local band like they were. And and so to show up after four or five straight months of playing every night, suddenly we were on a whole different level. And the guys in Rock and Bones were like, whoa. Like they were <laughs> like in shock. And so much so that there was no artifice. There was no trying to be cool. They were just like, holy crap, like fellas, what, what the hell is this? You know? And it was a, it was a really cool moment. Um, only be, you know, we thought we were getting better. We thought we were doing something, but for those guys to just acknowledge it. And, and again, mm-hmm. it was common sense. Any band that plays for four months in a row, every night, you're going to get a lot better. But I, but what I remember is we all felt we were all really happy about that. Like, Oh, okay. Cause you also, you know, we're, starting our our progress a day at a time and they came in four or five months in one fell swoop and it was obvious to them that something was happening with us that we were turning into that kind of band we'd always wanted to be and so that that gig was important to us for that just for that reason like the crowd liked it of course you know people like the music but to have (laughs) friends from another band acknowledge it that really meant a lot to
1: us. Peer validation is something yeah. that sometimes means as much, if not more, than validation from, say, like an audience. Well, of course. Oh, without question.
0: Well, peer validation and then and then obviously um, validation from your heroes. And then mm-hmm. over time, those guys become your peers, too. Um, right. Those those are those are huge things. Um you know, just, and there's a million little moments along the way, back when we were a local band and really weren't very good, but we would have these moments or we would have <laughs> a good song. You know, the right compliment from one person will keep you going for months, you know, literally. That's all it takes is one little nudge from somebody you respect. Um, You know, I had a lot of friends back when Shaker Your Money Maker blew up. They'd be like, well, I didn't want to, you know, they, they would not mention the band at all. Like, it just wouldn't come up. I'd see an old mm-hmm. friend from college or something. And I'd finally go like, Hey, so, you know, like, uh, you know, what's going on, right? You know, after a while, they "Oh, I just didn't think you'd want to hear about it. You must be sick of it. And I'd always say the same thing, which is, no, I, I'm sick of hearing about it from strangers. I'd love to hear about it from people whose opinion I actually respect and care about. You know, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's like, right. Um, you know, but, but uh, I mean, it's not like this is, you know, these are first world issues, of course, across the board. You're wondering why an old buddy mm-hmm. isn't mentioning your band, you know, but, <laughs> but it's, it's more like that, you know. So, but yeah, that pure validation to your point, it's, it's huge, especially, you know, confidence is 99% of live performance, you know, if, if confidence is everything. And so every little bit of that helps.
1: Some of the best bands that I, you know, some of my favorite bands and some of the best bands I've seen live, whether it be, Everybody from you know, Iron Maiden to the Ramones, to the Crows, to the Stones, the best live bands. Hell, I just saw Ugly Kid Joe last week at center stage. <laughs> I've been a fan of theirs for years. It was their first tour in 27 years. But those guys knew how to work a crowd, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when I see how a band, there's that push and pull between the audience yeah. I'm giving you this. What are you going to give me back? That's going to amp me up so I can give you more. You know, right. and that's a that's a magical thing when that occurs live, even if it's just five or six people. You know, in a yeah. crowd. You know, if you can capture two of them, man, I'm I'm gold.
0: Well, that's and and when you're an opening band, which at the time you first saw us, we were out. We had toured with Aerosmith. You know, that mm-hmm. first year we had three big arena tours as an opener: Aerosmith, Hart, and Robert Plant. And that's when you really learn about that. It's like uh, our manager, Pete, would say, you you know, you don't have to get 10,000 people to like you. Get 100 people to like you. Like, find find the two dudes already wearing your shirt in the 12th row who are out of their minds and just perform to them. You know, like, you're not here to win over the entire arena. You can't, so don't even try. Just find the people that are there and work it to them. You know, that's how you build something
1: you've been doing press obviously for a long long time what is a question that you get asked so much that you die inside a little every time you get asked it
0: um I I have no idea I would have to I mean I'm sure if I'm if I weren't thinking about that you know I, I probably there's probably a few right now I mean literally nothing comes to mind I don't know it's like um there were probably times I I never, you know, I I don't know that anything ever really did specifically wind me up because I always approached it from like, well, whoever's asking me questions is doing their job. You know, and I tried not to get too personally involved in that. You know, I mean, as much as we can have a friendly conversation, you know, if you go back 30 years, it's like they're not talking to me. They're talking to the drummer of the Black Crows. So I have to put that hat on. There is a little bit of a separation, you know, that just to remind yourself, you know, Um, you know, I've done interviews all over the world where the person sits down and goes, okay, so what do you do in the band? That's their first question. And right away you're like, well, they were just assigned this story. They don't care. So I can either punt and, you know, be a jerk and leave the room or I can just make the most of my time as well. So I usually, you know, I usually uh, lean towards the latter of those two.
1: I feel like one of the things I try to do so hard when I'm doing an interview is to try to go in and find those questions. And so, Mm -hmm. okay, I don't want to ask this because if it's like the first 10 hits on Google, like, come on. You know what I mean? Do a little bit of homework or something.
0: Uh, It's not so, I, I don't know. I mean, if you ask me something and I recoil, I'll let you know.
1: Like, did the Robinson brothers fight? No,
0: I'm just yeah that's it no you so you know but and <laughs> and it's and, but I also understand that's what's you know people still ask Keith Richards about waking up in the middle of the night and writing satisfaction you know do you think he cares it's like it's still something people think about you know the the I but now that you say that um the ZZ top why did you get fired from ZZ top you know we learned a lesson or we we should have learned a lesson mm-hmm Early on when that happened, which is people's first impression is never going to go away. And for an awful lot of people, the first time they really heard of the band was because we got fired from a tour. (laughs) You know, that that blew up. We were on the cover of Rolling Stone because of that. You know, it was right. It was the two weeks after we did SNL, like all these things Mm -hmm. were happening. And then that was the cherry on top. And if you had told me then that you'll do interviews for decades where that comes up. You know, and people like what really happened? You know, it's mind blind to me because I've I've said before, it's like asking me about my senior prom. I don't know. I haven't thought about it in 40 years, but but, you know, it's it's interesting. But at the same time, if someone doesn't know that story there, I I understand why people are interested. But yeah, that's the one more than anything that um, if anything else, I was just always so baffled by how much that one had the legs on that story is incredible.
1: And, And it's urban legend now like all these years later there are so many reasons you know that i've heard uh, over the years and i was just like "Eh, who cares man they Mm -hmm. got kicked off a tour they got better tours after that best yeah it's
0: the best thing that ever happened to us at the
1: time probably my second favorite album i have to say was amorica Mm -hmm. and there was always this again kind of like an urban legend kind of thing where it went around that there was like a movie made of sorts around the recording of the album. Mm -hmm. Like it was like kind of like a freak show movie. And Uh the only reason I'm bringing this up is because people were just asking me about this the other day. And I said, you know, I was like, all I know is that there was a still of it on the back of the album cover and that there's a, what was it? I think it was like a promo video for cursed diamond that we saw like a little Mm -hmm. tiny clip of that. What was that that happened?
0: It was just, it was just that it was just a film, you know, we had tracked the record and we just had a costume party we just set up the studio to look like a, a wild freak scene, and it was just a a party where we were playing the new songs, and it was just to have for press. That's what it was. It was like to chop into pieces. It ended up being used in an EPK back in the day, electronic press kit. Um, it was just footage to have, just something to do, really, and it never... I think maybe, uh, I, I don't know, there might have been a thought that it would be a long form music video for some future date. But, uh, this, but as far as I know, nothing really ever came of it. The footage is just all somewhere.
1: That was another one that like there were so many rumors and legends. Like, oh, my God, it was an orgy. And oh, my God, it was like a giant
0: coke party or whatever. Uh, it, it was definitely it was definitely not an orgy. I would remember that.
1: It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I got to tell you, I loved your book, Steve. That was for a long time fan of not even, not even so much just the Black Crows, but of you. Because, you know, I grew up a bass player. I was a bass player from the time I was like 14 until I was 20, mm-hmm. 21. And every bass player wants to work with a dream drummer, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I saw you at center stage that first time, my first thought was, oh my, I would do anything to have a drummer like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so as you kind of like formulated your sound and then you started going into the book about like your relationship with Johnny Colt.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: one of the things that stuck out to me that I remember the most was that you guys were such a good team. Like yeah. that, I mean, you locked in, the feel was there, especially as you progressed, like going into Southern Harmony and then even into Amorica where you know he was using his fingers and stuff. And you could really tell You guys were locked in when he left. I mean, you even called him the, I, I think it was the heart and soul of the black crows for the most part. And like, when um, he, or, or, or I'm trying to remember how you worded it, or maybe it was that he had big heart or something like that. I'm trying to remember
0: the. Oh, I, I don't that. remember that specifically. Um, I said that he won the Black Rose when he left. I know. Oh, that. that's um,
1: that's what it was. That's what it um, was. Um,
0: that was just more about his depart. You know how he was able to leave in in a good headspace, as opposed to just about everybody else who had a who wasn't able to pull themselves out of it before leaving. Um. No, I no, we were a great team. The whole band was a great team for a while there, you know. But Johnny and I specifically, and a lot of that was probably because he joined right before we made the first record. So we felt like we were we had to make up for lost time. Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. we had this record. Uh Shake Your Moneymaker was a way better record than we were banned. You know, George pulled the best possible version of us out, had it on right. tape, and then we had to become that band. We had to live up to the record we'd made. And for me and Johnny, it was real simple, which is just, well, everybody's got work to do and our job is to just lock down and and have this really solid foundation for them to, for everyone else to be able to do that. So that was definitely by design. We were 100% aware of the fact that we had to get, you know, that we had to be rock solid and airtight so that everybody else could figure out how to do their thing as well as they could do it. You know, so from, we we saw ourselves as the bottom, like from the ground up, we got to build this thing
1: is growing like that with a bass player for you as a drummer too? I mean, what do you, what did you, what do you find harder or more exciting to actually grow? Like you said, from the bottom up, or would it have been more fun or to like be able to jump right into it?
0: Oh, no, it's all about, you know, the, the, the journey is the thing. I mean, setting Mm -hmm. your sights on something, it could be as simple as listening to, you know, let there be rock or, or sticky fingers and going, we got to be like that. Like we got to lock in like that, you know, having listening back to yourself uh, two years later and recognizing, you know, we'd listen to a live tape from 90 and then listen to a live tape in 93. It sounds and it's not just me and Johnny, but everybody sounded like we we're on a different planet. Uh, we had all grown so much. You know, the quest is always the thing. It's not about getting anywhere. It's about it's about it's about being on the way to somewhere. I think that's usually I'm most excited at 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 this thought of a project or of a, of a, of a goal in mind, you know, reaching a goal is great, but the first thing you better do if you don't want to stay sane is set a new goal. You
1: know, it's all about the journey. To me, I would think that would be the more exciting part would be to watch yourself grow as a team, as opposed to getting somebody who can come in and be like, Oh, I learned the songs already. Well, it's like, where's the fun of that kind of working together and growing.
0: Yeah, another that's another one of those things that in, as it was happening, it wasn't we're not thinking about it consciously much at all on any level, but you certainly look back and it seems pretty clear.
1: I mean, like I said, following the crows from 90 on, you know, we got to that point where once um oh, what was it, Lions came out, then the band went on hiatus. Then they came back with a different drummer. It was Bill Dobro. Bill Dobro comes in fills fills the slot i saw two shows with him he was excellent and then of course you returned to the throne and i was super excited because that magic came back how did it feel to come back uh w- were you a little reluctant at first to come back because of various reasons and uh well yeah i mean yeah sure it was just a it was um i, I
0: mean i the, it, it I haven't thought about that. And so the good thing about writing the book is I don't have to think about any of this crap. It's all in there. And so <laughs> yes. whatever I wrote explains it. And I've, and I've been able to not, not carry around anything that, you know, it was all in my head forever. And then I wrote it. Now it's all gone, thankfully. Um, no, it was just, a. it was, to me, it was just always about trying to, It it didn't make sense until it did. And then after a while, it didn't make sense again. You know, it was uh, mm-hmm. just kind of a, it was a redo of, of everything that had already happened, you know? Um, and I really don't think of it in, I, I mean, I don't think of any of this stuff these days. Yeah. I mean, when you just asked that question, I was just like, God, I haven't, I hadn't thought about anything from that's almost 20 years ago, the second time around. So again, that's like asking me about my senior prom at this point.
1: I've been a total fan of your post-cruise mm-hmm. material. Trigger Hippie was a game changer for me, man, that, that album, that first album was so Mm -hmm. good. And you had that lineup. And, but it's this newer lineup with uh, Amber uh, Woodhouse that Mm -hmm. it's almost like that. It's a little more stripped down. It's, it's, it's a less overwhelming presence, I think. And it really gave me some focus, more so on the music.
0: Well, I think through, without any master design at all, um, mm-hmm. that first version of Trigger Hippie was it, it was a lot for to that point. I mean, you had a lot. It was a lot of personalities, and all and three of whom already who come to a band with a whole lot of uh, preconceived notions in anybody who's checking the band out. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, you ju- just just. If if you know who I am, if you know who Jackie is, if you know who Joan is, you're going to see that band and go, "Wow, what, what is all this?" It can be it was a, it was a band, but it was made up of some really uh, large individual pieces, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I'm talking about this from the perspective of listeners, not not my perspective or not each, not theirs, like not the people in the band, but the way the band can easily be perceived. Right. Because I think so much of how people look at bands is is subconscious. It's subliminal. You don't realize you're having notions until they're disproven. All, usually. That's with anything in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you often you learn about yourself when you when something points out, oh, I didn't know I was even thinking that till I realized I was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We make a lot of assumptions, I guess is what I'm saying. So whatever people thought of that first lineup of the band. Um, at the end of the day it was just a really good band you know And we had a bunch of good songs and um, I was you know we were all for a time that was just really fun and easy thing to be doing together and I'm very Mm -hmm. proud of that album I thought it was you know under the circumstances and everything that was going on in the world that we were able to put that record together and get it out and go tour a bunch in 14 and 15 was great it was a lot of fun and then as things do Uh, And as careers evolve, you know, it became it was an untenable situation to keep that lineup together. I think if there was any focus the second time around from us, it wasn't it wasn't so much a reaction at all to it, it was just having it wasn't a reaction as much as it was just an awareness of what Nick and I really always wanted, which is just a really straight, cohesive I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you that we're all on the same page. That's what, that's all I'm ever looking for in anything is I just mm-hmm. want to have a, a project where everybody's facing, you don't have to look each other in the eye and agree, but you got to be able to face the same direction and move forward together. You know what I mean? Like there's just a, there's the, th- that's cohesion. That's, that's the idea of a win to me It's just everybody, even if you're moving really slowly, if you're all moving in the same direction, then you're, again, that journey is worth taking. And so the, with the second line the different lineup for the second album uh, and touring, it was just all about, let's just find a new thing. We can't recreate what that other band was, you know, that's, that's going to, that's a hamster wheel. That's, that's not interesting. You know, let's go find something new that is what it is. And we'll incorporate some of those old songs as much as makes sense, but there's probably some that won't make sense to keep with us. And, you know, that's no different than any band goes through when you change members, you know, you, you lose one or two people you gain one or two people and if it sounds like the same band then you're really not doing anything that interesting probably
1: one of the things i loved about the trigger hippie album the first one was that you know when i first heard about the project you know you know, I'm, you know i've been a joan osborne fan for years you know jackie green i was a fan of and in my mind i was like those are two very distinct and almost kind of strong personalities artistically yeah very much so but when i heard that album kind of like what you said there was that sense of cohesion mm-hmm. that made me so surprised that it felt like the songs were bigger than the parts mm-hmm. that were behind them if that makes sense
0: uh well sure if that's how, whatever works for you you know i mean again i i don't mm-hmm. i I haven't listened to that record in a while. And and just like the other stuff, I haven't thought about that those days much. But I just know that at the time it felt great, you know, and it was it was very real. And um, that was progressing along very nicely. Um, you know, it it was again, it was a, it did it it struck us by surprise. The one thing I can tell you about that is that Nick and I. I called Joan and asked if she was interested in jamming and throwing this around. I said, I got a bass player who writes great songs. And we're putting this thing together. And we got together with Joan a couple of times. And then Jackie was coming through town and we just clicked up with him. And we didn't have some idea of, Oh, a male and female singer. We didn't, that wasn't like on paper. It was just, we got in a room and they started singing together and they were having a blast. And all of a sudden it was like, Hey, let's, let's see where this goes. You know? So Mm -hmm. You know, as much as we may have had an idea of what we thought the band was, sometimes something comes along you don't expect and you just follow that because it's like, oh, that's a spark. And I think it was a great thing. Again, I uh, obviously Jackie and Joan would both answer this more better than I could because we're talking about them. But I think for both of them, they were I think everybody is surprised by how much fun it was just Mm -hmm. for them to play off each other. It was something they were both clearly not anticipating and really happy to discover.
1: So when that lineup came to fruition, was there an expectation of, like, this is going to be the band? Or was it kind of gone into knowing that, okay, this is going to be what it is for right now, and it may even be a revolving door at some
0: point? Well, if we had had all been in Mm our 20s, that would have been the band. You know, we would have gone out and done it like every band does, and then we would have all (laughs) driven each other crazy um because nobody was in their 20s i think we were just happy i mean i think the thinking was this will be great if this works long term but but with the reality of an understanding we're talking about two people who already have really really successful solo careers like it's not like i don't know that that band would have ever been something to uh to become full-time for anybody like full-on full-time uh and again i but but even that is almost 10 years removed now, you know? So it's like, I have to, I have to, I have to really put my head back there and there's no point. I mean, it just was what it was. And while it lasted, it was great.
1: So another thing I was curious to ask you was that, it, cause you actually kind of went there a little bit is that, you know, when you're younger and you're putting a band together and you're kind of going in like, this is the band we're going to go, we're going to make it, whatever Um, doing it later in life. I would assume that because I kind of felt this way myself about my music and band that I put together or whatever, is that it seems a little easier because you have less ex- expectations for anything more than just making music. Well,
0: the well finding something that clicks and makes mm-hmm. you feel good is such a nice surprise. Um, but you also have, you've got realistic expectations along with, I would hope much mm-hmm. sharper discernment. You know, you recognize what's bullshit and what's nonsense and what's not. You know, you don't chase bad ideas for songs. You know, everybody you kind of recognize right away, right, like, oh, this right. Is, this, there's nothing here. You know, and and you recognize, you know, you might have something in mind. Or, or well, I can just tell you with Bagman, like the group, uh, Nick and Luther and I, we just recorded a bunch of songs. And there was a few songs that we had demos of that I thought, oh, the, there was two of them where I was like, oh, I know that's going to be the one, man we got in a room and as soon as we started playing them, there's just, there just nothing happened. You could tell Mm -hmm. there was not a communal click and two songs that I was convinced were just sort Mm -hmm. of ways exploded. And so, you know, the difference between now and 20 years ago is we didn't spend one second trying to force something that wasn't feeling right into feeling right. We just went with what felt right. And everyone's much happier and it sounds great. Feels cool. You know, Uh, there's a million things. It's just like anything else in life. The more you do it, if you're doing it right, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more efficient you become, and the more the more um you can appreciate the very little things and you you can ignore a lot of things that at one time would have felt really big and important because you recognize they're really not.
1: So I love what I've seen and the little bit I've seen and heard of Bagman. And I was excited because kind of just encapsulated that old school and I hate to go with the jam thing, so I'm not going to say jam band because I don't think it is, but it's that kind of era of music, you know what I mean? Where it's that kind of, it's got some funk, it's got some blues, it's got like a lot of that crossover. And I'm assuming that that connection with Luther kind of came from his time in the the Crows. So that must have been a really tight thing that you've formed with him to want to work with him later.
0: Yeah, oh, for sure. And we've been talking about this for years. You know, this is something that Luther Mm -hmm. and I, you know, Nick, uh, had a couple of restaurants in Nashville for years. There was one he had called Kitchen West Side, a little tiny place you could fit about 15 people in there. And Luther and I <laughs> used to go, Luther and I would go there, we'd meet there for lunch back in 2015, 2016. Um, mm-hmm. so that's going back a ways. Um, or maybe it was 16 and 17, but whenever it was, you know, we would see each other there. And so it just be, you know, and Nick would be behind the counter and the two of us would be sitting there and there'd be, there'd be times when there's no one else in a joint. We're just listening to music and, you know, eating lunch and talking about this, you know, what, what turned into be bag men was just a conversation about, man, we should do something and we should, you know, let's play something that's kind of just works to both our strengths and how do we want to do it. And, and, you know, Luther and Nick knew each other before I knew either one of them, you know, they met in the nineties uh, with Nick's old band, high water playing with a very young all-stars and, um, So it was just, they, you know, so they go back farther than I go back with either guy. So it was just a very easy conversation to have. Wouldn't it be cool if we did this type of thing, which, you know, you have with other musicians all the time. This one always did feel like there was a little bit more to it. And then finally, you know, a million things happen and then a million things clear off everyone's schedules. And you're like, okay, let's do this now. So that's what now is.
1: One of the rare things that I feel like happens uh, that Bagman has done lately uh, or now, I should say, is that most bands come out and they're like throwing songs out left and right. Like, here, here's the first single. Here's the second single. We got like a jam from you guys, like a like a jam video. I thought that was actually a really smart move on your part, because that drum, at least for me, that drummed up the curiosity to go, OK, I've got to keep my eyes out on this and see what's, what's coming. Um, was that an intentional thing or I mean you know
0: I I'm hardly a social media expert you know what I mean uh, you know it's <laughs> just one of those you've talked to somebody who knows what they're doing and they say this would be a good idea and I'm like okay thanks why do not you hook that up for us um well we, you know we don't we don't we don't you know bagman doesn't have a master plan beyond some shows this year and we certainly hope we have some shows next year uh it's just real simple like again we're just we've been talking about this for a long time we got to the studio and it went as well as if not way better than we had hoped and then right away we got some offers for gigs and it's just like yeah let's go see let's go check it out Mm -hmm. and again 30 years ago i'd be gassing up the van and saying let's go we'll we'll see you next year you know um (laughs) that's the not something i'm going to be doing right now that's not something you know we'll just see what happens with it and And obviously we want people to like it. We're expecting, and I'm sure people will, it'll be, you know, we'll have a good time and people will dig it. But, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's all about the fact that we're just putting something together with new energy and a whole different sort of vibe. And it's a lot of fun. It's, it's, I mean, it's literally that simple. It's just, this is
1: cool. Let's do this. It's just great for me to see you having so much fun playing Mm -hmm. music again I'm sure you're like me in the same way that you know I'm very passionate about the musicians and the bands that I love so part of you gets kind of almost personally invested sometimes in certain musicians and what they're doing and how they're doing it sure and so to see you especially with you know like I said post crows you know going in you know with the Trigger Hippie albums and now you got Bagman and it's it to me it makes it warms my heart to see one of my favorite musicians Still having so much fun in the sense that like it doesn't feel like you're even topping out yet. If anything, you're you're finding new energy.
0: Oh yeah, I, I, it's fun. I, it's interesting. I've had several people say just in the last few months. Out of the someone will say, "Oh, do you still play?" And it's I'm always so surprised by that question. I'm like, "So I still play? Why would I stop? What are you talking about?" Like, and I get it. Like I, you know, I've been doing radio for a decade now, or pl- over a decade. You know, and I've been doing. I mean, it's almost 10 years of national radio. So yeah, I I understand that people might assume that means I'm not, but I'm still a drummer who does other things. I mean, the first way I describe myself and think of myself is I'm a drummer. Um, You know, everything else is next to that. Now I have a, like now with, with doing a morning radio show in Minneapolis, like I am, I mean, this is a very real, I, the first time I ever thought to myself, like, I'm I'm really a rate, like I had a, sports talk show for almost five years on Fox Sports Radio, but I still didn't right, think I yeah. was a radio guy first, you know. Um, that was still just too close being on the heels of just playing doing nothing but drumming for so long. But now I see it. It's like, yeah, I'm 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 if if you call me a radio guy who's a drummer, that's fine. I see myself as a drummer who does radio, but really at the end of the day it's you know, I'm doing more radio than drumming, but that's just because of the reality of what it is to drum these days. But I'm still playing all the damn time. I'm just not playing publicly so you can go see it, you know, but there's, there's it's all the same to me. Um, if I'm not if I'm not playing, if I'm not sitting at the drum kit, I'm listening to records playing in my head. And the next time I get at that kit, I'm going to go rip off all the cool stuff I just heard. I mean, that that's that's never that never changes.
1: I also think it depends on the perspective of the people, you know, like if more people know you from the radio aspect, they're going to say, Oh, you know, the radio dude who I heard played drums in a band. Yeah. Whereas like someone like me, would be like, you know, that's fucking Steve Gorman, dude. That's like one of the best rock and roll drums. Oh yeah. He has a radio show too. You know
0: what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. I, I just, I, and, and, you know, I don't, I, I, a lot of the time when I talk about stuff like that, I'm just trying to put my head in the perspective of the people. Cause to me, I the the less I think about any of that, the the better I feel. you know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. get up every day and I'm like, what am I gonna do today? What's on the list and I go do it and I like to be busy and I you know I I just do things I like to do. I mean, I still, you know it, it's I don't have some grand master plan of uh, you know, I again, like radio, I started it later in life. Mm-hmm. so. I mean, if, if cause some, and someone just said the other day, like, because I was a broadcasting major in college, I thought I was going to be a sportscaster. That was my plan at 19 and 20. So I'd be a sportscaster.
1: Right. Yeah. And
0: someone said, man, where do you think you'd be if you had never dropped out of school and just stayed in broadcasting? And I was like, I I, I imagine I'd be one of those guys who jams in the basement with friends. You know, like I would have gotten a drum kit and I would have taught myself gotten pretty good or a little bit anyway. And I'd be, you know, doing something in the world of broadcasting. I mean, the only two things I ever really thought about doing were being drumming in a band and broadcast and being on the radio. So I, mm-hmm. you know, and for the last 12, 13 years, I've been doing both after 30 years of just doing the first. And, you know, so it's all it's just what it is. You know, it's just I I I think my strengths in both are that I, I I focus on what I'm good at and I don't get too close to the lines that I'm I know aren't you know. I know, what, I know what I am as a drummer. I know what I am as a broadcaster. And I don't try to do things I'm not good at.
1: And that is part of keeping an artistic ego in check also. You know what I mean? Like to say like, you know, oh, I'm not going to throw myself out there.
0: Oh, I could never be. I mean, I, I can say, I said to someone this morning, the producer of my radio show here in Minneapolis, my producer of the morning show. He was listening to one of the Bagman tracks, and he goes, "God, I mean, it sounds dumb, but you're a really good drummer." You know, like he was kind of <laughs> laughing, and I said, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I know." I said, "I, you know, I mean, I'm totally. I, I think I'm great." You know, but and then I said what I just told you, which is, "I'm great just because I know what I'm good at, and I don't deviate. Like I'm not going to go mm-hmm. be in a Rush cover band." You know what I mean? If you want to expose me, <laughs> ask me to go play a samba beat you know, go, there's, there's a million things that I'm not, that I couldn't do well. And that I'm not interested in doing, thankfully, you know what I mean? I don't have a, uh, I don't, I have a drive to be really good at what I'm good at. Uh, You know, I'm Mm -hmm. still getting better. I think I'm a better drummer right now than I've ever been. I really do think that, you know, I've just learned more and, and that's all I want. I just want to be a rock and roll drummer. And I still have a lot of places I need to probably go or that I can go in there and that I certainly am not shying away from, but I also know that um somebody the other day said something like you should only work on chops or rudiments oh you know for any musician you only got to go back and dig in if if you're if you can't play what you hear then mm-hmm. then go back to the drawing board and I just thought wow I I can play everything I hear <laughs> like I always yeah I just apply a certain and and my the way I drum and the stuff I do that's much wider than it was 20 years ago but compared to a lot of drummers, it's still a very straight shot. You know, it's a, I'm just the drummer I am. And I think I have a really keen understanding of what that is. So it's just not ever really a concern. There's just not too many things that come up where I go, uh, I mean, I do have ideas that I then have to figure out how to do it and how to do it naturally. Mm-hmm. And I'll literally go sit and for, you know, a cumulative number of hours. I'm just working on a thing, on a specific vibe or a feel that I might never even use, but I just know I'm going to need it someday or I'll want to use it someday. But but for the most part, when I'm playing, I'm just me, the way I play and the way I hear music.
1: So do you think that that growth that you were just talking about from like being able to hear it, to play it, to your style growing and whatnot, would that have grown in the same way had you not been having the experience of being a touring band and playing with other bands?
0: Oh, no, not, not a chance. Mm -hmm. No, that's, that's, it all came from the road. I mean, it came from being in a band that was uh, for a a while there in the nineties, ludicrously ambitious, writing really weird songs and bizarre time changes. Um, Mm -hmm. A band that decided to just jam completely improvisationally in front of an audience every night, instead Mm -hmm. of doing it at soundcheck. You know, I got to be very quick and very, very light on my feet, very sharp with those with that Mm -hmm. sort in that context, I would have never you can't do that. I could have never become the drummer I was if I had been just playing weekends and working a day job because I'm never going to sit in a basement and play. I hate playing drum. I, I don't like playing drums. I like playing music and music. That means there's a guy with a guitar and a bass in the room with me, you know, um, going in and playing and I do play now pretty regularly. I sit at the kit for an hour several times a week right now and and I enjoy it, but it's it's just it's just keeping myself in shape. It's making sure my hands and my wrists feel okay and mm-hmm. and just and then hearing if you're working through a few little ideas, maybe a groove in my head I'm trying to make sense of but but that's but if you know if if somebody who knows five chords on guitar comes in and plugs in next to me, I'm gonna have a whole lot more fun.
1: You know, and that's something to be said about that kind of that kind of feeling when it comes to playing music, because for myself, I was never one of those guitar player kids who sat in my room and practiced scales. Yeah, I couldn't play a scale if my life depended on it, Mm -hmm. but I can play just about every fucking (laughs) ACDC. Do you know what I mean? And so to me, it was more fun, more fulfilling to like you said, to actually have people in a room make I didn't want to be a guitar player. I wanted to be a musician.
0: You know,
1: I wanted to make music. I wanted to write music and play you know, I didn't want to be Steve. I, you know, yeah. I wanted to be Malcolm young,
0: yeah. you
1: know, <laughs> it's a big difference. And it's hard to be Malcolm. If you don't have Phil and Cliff again, right. Goes back to that whole concept of that perfect rhythm section. Yeah. And I feel like you have that with this project.
0: Oh, well, Nick and I have played my bassist, Nick and, you know, trigger Hippie and end bag, We've been playing together since 2004 the first time we ever played was just at a jam at a bar in East Nashville. And we played for a few hours, just winging it completely. And that night we, we sat there afterwards drinking beers. And I remember I said, like, we sound like a band. Like we don't sound like two guys jamming. We sound like we already play together Mm -hmm. or I should say it felt that way. Cause it's all, and it really was there from the jump. I mean, I've played with a lot of great bassists, and I, you know, think so highly of so many great musicians I've played with. There's only a few times in life when you have a connection that the more you talk about it, the the less you want to talk about it. You know, it's like, I, I don't talk about yeah. the way Nick and I play together that much because it says everything for itself. Like the, you know, that is one of those things. Um mm-hmm. But uh, there's just a, we're just such a, we're so copacetic and that's playing music and just hanging out, you know, we're, we're very, very close. And so it's one of the true luxuries of my life is that I don't have to think about that. Like if, if, if we get in a room and start, if we play together, it's, I I know that we're going to, it's going to feel great. It's just, I don't, I don't give it a second thought. It's great.
1: With you and Nick together, that was one of those things where I had to, I felt like myself. I said, if that was me, I would do everything I could to keep that going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. regardless of where you're going. And mm-hmm. it sounds so fluid and coming out of all that weirdness with the crows and stuff like that's the kind of shit that a lot of times breaks a person, breaks mm-hmm. a musician. Sure. How hard was it, if hard at all, for you to flip that into the positivity that carried you into this place where you were ultimately. Happy Steve Gorman right now.
0: Well, I, I mean, I think I've been Happy Steve Gorman for a while. Um, you know the well the the '90s were the hard years, you know, for me. Mm -hmm. Um, by the time I when the second go round for the Black Crows, in a lot of ways, was it was it was a more difficult environment, but I was much better at handling it. I I didn't I didn't take it home with me. You know that I I recognize that this has nothing to do with me. It really doesn't you know, it's just, I'm just, this is just a, you know, it turned into a job and it was a great job. It was pretty simple. I didn't, I didn't feel, uh, I, I just was able to recognize where the lines were, even if no one else could see them. I saw my own lines. Um, and that's not to say every day was easy or anything. I didn't have all the answers, but I was just in a much healthier place. So when I, when the band, you know, and again, now we're talking, it's been 10 years since I was on a row with the black crows. When I, made the decision in February of 2014 that I would never again be on the road with the Black Crows. It's just, it was just like, it was an easy door to close because I had just started this new radio show. Sugar Hippie was already out playing shows. We were, had finished our album that was about to be released. I mean, I had set myself up for that very day to be like done with that. So it's really been, and But, you know, which is not to say I haven't had moments along the way where I recognized, oh, I'm I'm reading something wrong for, out of habit, or I'm looking at this, I'm, I'm expecting the negative just because that's what mm-hmm. I'm used to. And right. so, and those things do take a while to 100% filter through. You just can't, it's just a process, I guess. But generally speaking, I've been, you know, I, I don't remember. Again, I'm not suggesting I walk around every day with a rainbow shooting out of my ass, but I I've I've been I've felt pretty darn good about things for a long time,
1: you know. I've read a couple of interviews with you as, as neurodivergence and music. Like being OCD, ADHD or whatever. How is it that that stuff can sometimes work in our favors as musicians as opposed to cripple us?
0: Oh, the OCD thing The OCD thing for me is, was, I think it was incredibly advantageous. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, every drummer has their own clock, their own meter, I guess, you know, you got a clock ticking and I'm in touch with that. And so I'm going to tell you where the one is, but I'm always going to know if I'm ever ahead or behind it. And I'm going to, I can't turn that off. You know, like if you want to speed up, I'm going to really try hard to keep you from doing that. If you're slowing down, I'm going to try hard to keep you from doing that. Um, and I don't even, again, these aren't conscious things. It's just my internal thing of like, I'm, I'm here to establish this. Um, and I think when I was now, I don't, I don't have other OCDC. I don't have OCD tendencies anymore. I I've, you know, nothing like a couple of complete nervous breakdowns to rid you of some of those things and get you to face the reason you have them in the first place. But when I learned how to drum, I still, I certainly did. And, you know, I also, there, you know, when I learn a lesson, I tend to not need to be reminded of it. And mm-hmm. early in my drumming days, you know, when I first got to Atlanta, I was 21 when I started. Um, I recognized some very basic things really quickly, which was if you're going to play fills, you better really know where you're going before you get into the middle of it. You know, I was watching other local drummers that were really good, but then they would they would just lose time in a fill. And I could just see the faces of their bandmates and I could feel it like, Oh, they don't like that. You know? And like, you know, like stamina is a big thing. Like you've got to be able to play the whole show. You can't get weak towards the end. I would watch, I would watch bands fall apart, you know, because they just run out of gas. I mean, you're all basic things, but when you're, first trying to be in your own band and you're going to see bands now with a very different lens. I'm not seeing them because I think Mm -hmm. it's cool to see bands. I'm like trying to learn something every night or I'm wondering what they do that I should do. I'm wondering what they do that I shouldn't do some real basic things. I learned, you know, everybody likes playing with a drummer that they don't have to think about, you know, I mean, the, the, I guarantee you like, you, you know if, if if you're in a band with a great drummer you love your drummer you're happy he's there but it only takes a few shows before you're back to being like man i'm gonna take this guitar solo out and if the <laughs> drummer's doing their job and if that guitar player never has to look back to make sure he's in time with you he's gonna play better now you might play too mm-hmm. much and then you might have a fight afterwards but but the drummer's <laughs> job is to you know like i learned very early on i would just watch bands and i was like man the The drummers who are rock solid, it just seems like everyone else on stage is happier than the guys whose drummers aren't rock solid. It's real simple. It's like your job is just to make everybody else as good as they can be, you know, on a certain at a certain point. That's job one. And then job, you know, then you can think about, well, what about what I want to play and what about this and what about that? But, you know, a band is only as good as its drummer, of course. And, uh, you know, job one is just don't just give no one give no one a reason to turn around. That's what I used to think like mm-hmm. if if no one looks back at me the whole set to cuz when they do that they're going what the hell's going on back there that's why they're looking back if i can play a 40 minute set and no one looks at me from my own band then i just won the game <laughs> exactly. it's pretty pretty simple <laughs> stuff really
1: you know you also had a great way of being so very creative with uh, drum parts in the sense that you would do some really cool things and Just to hear the growth, like from, you know, Shake Your Money Maker, where you were just like, you were really solid, good, hard-hitting rock drummer. You know, Southern Harmony, you had yeah that little solo in Sting Me that you did, which kind of showed your swing and some flair. Mm -hmm. But then you got to like Amorico where you had that incredible, like, thing that you do during Wiser Time, which, even though I'm not a drummer, I could never figure out what you were doing. Mm -hmm. You know, so are those things that you... Would just kind of formulate on your own before going into a song? Or was that something that once you got sitting set into the song, you were like, "Okay, I think this is how how it should sound.
0: It's it's always just different. I mean, some songs you just the first thing you play is perfect. And some songs you try 50 things and you still never feel like you get it right, you know. Mm-hmm. um, I can tell you that at that time in the Black crows we were playing so much we we never were away from each other, we sound checked for hours at a time. we were constantly mm-hmm. holding our instruments in each other's presence, you know, is mm-hmm. it, and so it, there's no uh, you know, if somebody says to me, I came up with that idea, I'll go, okay, cool. I, you know, I don't remember specifically, <laughs> there's a few to your wiser time point, I was playing that part at like hyperspeed, just fucking around, almost like a Devo Mm -hmm. beat would be. And Chris Mm -hmm. looked at me and said, Hey, slow that down. And then I played that. and And then he goes, Hey, Rich, play that thing you were playing yesterday. And Rich just laid the chords over top of it. And suddenly there's wiser time. And so that was just a great moment of Chris hearing some weird pattern that was unlike something I'd done before. And then thinking about something Rich had been playing around with and seeing if they fit and they did. And then we were off and running, you know, but again, that's, that's what happens when you're always together, you know, when a band is just constantly working, you can pull, you can finish each other's sentences in a way. So that's the, you know, the strength of that era was that exact, that's a perfect example of, of why that band was, was where it was. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You know, in every situation's different, you know, with, I, I can tell you that with Bagman. um, the difference with what we just recorded and anything from those days was there wouldn't have been any, Hey, that thing you did yesterday because we just moved on If if something clicked, we just did it and knocked it out. And if it didn't, we just, yeah, Yeah. you know, we're just like (laughs) buzzsawing through it. Um, because we all know what feels good. There's, you don't go back the next day and go, let's listen again and make sure that was good. We just know it's yes or no, move on or stay. And, um, but, you know, it's all. And if if Bagman goes out and plays 150 shows next year, we'll probably have stories like that first one I told. But right now we're where we are. And all of this is a long winded way to say you just got to be as a musician. You're just where you are. You know, sometimes uh-huh. sometimes the last record you heard really makes an impact on what you play. And sometimes the last sandwich you ate does that. You just never know if you're <laughs> open to it. You know, inspiration can come
1: from anywhere. So, Bagman's got some shows coming up. What are we going to expect? Is there going to be some music released before you do the shows? Or are the shows going to be where we're going to really hear Bagman for the
0: first time? We would like to get a, a song or maybe even two. Uh, no promises, but that's our thought right now. Um, but if not, then, you know, you just got to take a chance. Come out and see some, uh, <laughs> come out and see the band. See, I think, I think think <laughs> I think anybody who shows up will have a good time.
1: Is that a little nerve wracking for you, or is that is there a level of excitement knowing that 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 may be the first time? Not in people- the least. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no. No. I mean, we're playing our first gig in a couple of days up in Wisconsin. That you know, that's at a big brewery summer party. There's going to be like four thousand people there. You know, we've all played enough gigs. We're going to be okay. Um, it's not. Ner- <laughs> it is exciting. I mean, I'm very excited. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm. Ex- we're rehearsing this week. I'm thrilled to be rehearsing. It's going to be a blast. Um, But but nothing about it's nerve-wracking.
1: It's exciting. Well, Steve, I am super excited for it. The show's going to be on June 28th at Smith's in the Atlanta Room. And um, yeah, congratulations for playing on the same stage that I played on at some point.
0: It's been a goal for many years, my friend.
1: <laughs> well, Steve, like I said, congratulations with Bagman. And it's great. And it was such a great time talking to you i really enjoyed this and um thank you for flattering this old fan man
0: yeah right on dude thank you